0: Welcome back to the program. Is there anyone that believes that we still have some measure of privacy? Not only are there cameras everywhere, something even companies like Dropcam are adding to daily. Not only is big data a part of almost every business, but the uses of this data, not only by the NSA, but by corporate America, is becoming ever more sophisticated. But it is, after all, what we say we want. Better customer service, better customer satisfaction, and greater personalization. However, when we look up something on Amazon or Google, and then you see ads for that item within seconds on every website you visit, just maybe it seems to have gone a bit too far. No place is better at this, particularly in the bricks-and-mortar world, than Las Vegas, a place where money and service are as one, where loyalty still seems to matter, and where the world of tech and the world of touch come together, as in few other places. This is the backdrop for Adam Tanner's look at big data in his book, What Stays in Vegas. Adam Tanner is a fellow at the Institute for Quantitative Social Science at Harvard. He was previously a Neiman Fellow. He's worked for Reuters and Forbes. And it is my pleasure to welcome Adam Tanner here to talk about What Stays in Vegas, the world of personal data, lifeblood of big business, and the end of privacy as we know it. Adam, thanks so much for joining us.
1: And thank you for having me on.
0: Great to have you here. One of the things that is so fascinating about this story, it seems, is that we think of of lack of privacy in the online world a lot. A lot's been talked about, and written about that. But one of the things about Vegas and the way the data is used is this intersection of both information and the personal. Talk a little bit about that, that nexus. Well,
1: in essence, here's how it works in Las Vegas. If you join a loyalty program, which almost everyone does, the overwhelming majority of people do, they will know pretty much everything that you're doing in the public spaces of the hotels uh, throughout your visit there. So that would include, to the penny, how much time and how much money you've spent at the slot machine, how your odds are doing relative to how much you should have lost. So maybe you, statistically, you should have lost $219 over the last 95 minutes, but you've actually lost $350. So you're having a terrible evening. Uh, They'll know what kind of food you like because you use the same loyalty card in the hotel restaurant. They'll know what kind of shows you like. They'll know how often you visit uh, and stay uh, at the hotel. So all of these kinds of things are things that are collected about you and used to market to you. The one interesting factor, though, about Las Vegas compared to a lot of other data collecting is that you could choose not to join the loyalty program, and in which case they won't gather data about you. You could put your cash down on the table and gamble anonymously. But most people want the freebies that come along with being part of the loyalty program, which are free rooms, drinks, meals, and other perks that comes from being a good customer at a casino.
0: And in some casinos, I don't know that this is true across the board in Vegas. It's certainly true in in some casinos in California, is that you can't even play the slots anymore with just cash. You have to use the card.
1: Well, So the coins have been out for a long time already, more than a decade. Um, So you do have to put in, you can put cash into a machine and get um, sort of coupons and put them in. So you don't have to be a member of the loyalty program uh, for that sense. Now, I guess it would, each casino would set up their own rules and variances. Um, My book focuses largely on uh, Caesars, which is the world's largest casino company and how they grew into an incredible company, uh, largely on the on the back of their marketing and strength in gathering data about its customers.
0: And really, you tell the story of of one gentleman that really realized the potential of gathering big data and how it would help Vegas. Originally, Harris, and later to become Caesars. So
1: the CEO of Caesars today is a man called Gary Loveman, who is very much unlike a lot of his. A lot of his predecessors who were bosses in Las Vegas in decades past. Gary Loveman is someone who has a PhD from MIT. He went on to be a professor at Harvard Business School, and he did some consulting with Harris uh, during his time as a business school professor in the 1990s. His big academic concept that brought him some prominence was the concept of lifetime value, how valuable a customer is over time to a business. And if you look at something like a pizzeria, you might be only worth a dollar or two buying a single slice today at, at um, your local pizzeria. But over time, if you keep going back to that place, over the course of a lifetime, you might be worth seven or $8,000. And if you think about something more valuable, such as cars, or if you were the corporate buyer of an aircraft for companies, that could be worth billions. Cars could be worth hundreds of thousands or even into the millions, depending on what category car you buy over the course of a lifetime. What Gary Loveman tried to do then in Las Vegas was bring this concept of loyalty to the casino world. Traditionally, in casinos, there had been a lot of what they called promiscuity, people going from one casino to the other, not showing much loyalty to any one casino, because after all, the games are pretty much the same in each place. Of course, inside, they may look different. Some places have singing gondoliers, some have dancing fountains, but inside, the games are are quite similar, and the odds, of course, are, are, are the same. So his idea was through the loyalty program to build this concept that you will come back again and again because you'll get more perks and rewards, and that's why you're going to want to share your data. That's going to give us more insights to who you are as a customer and bring us more business on the long term.
0: The other side of that is the degree to which the loyalty and the data and the information creates the opportunity for these perks and rewards. To come back to the story you were telling earlier, if you're having a bad night and you've lost more money than the statistics and the odds say you should have, the hotel has the ability to come to you and say, here's a free dinner, here's a free spa treatment, whatever, as a way to make your experience better.
1: Exactly. So if they see that you typically spend $200 on a visit to Las Vegas or on a typical night, and you're down much more than that, and you're having a very poor evening, so you should have lost 200 by the odds, Uh, but you're down $400, they may choose that moment to show up sending over your uh, favorite hostess with tickets to Elton John playing that night, because they may know that you like that performer rather than someone else. They may see that they have some extra capacity in in the performance hall that evening. And at the end of all that, you may think, oh, this is a great place. I've really enjoyed my evening here. So what they've done is they've converted... What is a terrible evening from you that might turn you against the casino or, or encourage you to go somewhere else to change your luck into an evening where you think, oh, this is turning out quite nicely, even though you've lost $400? In, in, in What Stays in Vegas, in my book, I look at a, a typical mid-level gambler, um, a single man who's about 40 from Los Angeles, who goes about once a month to Las Vegas. And over the course of the year that I followed him, he estimates that he lost about $5,000 or more at, at Caesars, but at the same time, he estimates he got about 5000 in free uh, goods and services, in hotel rooms and free chips and other things. And so in the end, he's quite satisfied, and the casino is quite satisfied because the cost of providing him uh, about the same amount of uh, goods and services, $5,000 of freebies, is less than that. It might cost him a few thousand. And so if the equation works out, both sides of the table would be satisfied.
0: Right all those perks and all those dinners and and everything else that they gave him really have a small incremental cost to the hotel as opposed to the cash that he lost on the other side
1: Exactly but at the same time he, he you know he knows that it's entertainment um it's it's something that he enjoys doing and so he's this one particular player is going there dispassionately saying okay I'm going to enjoy myself knowing that over the long term I'm likely going to lose um And in this equation, it works out well because he feels he's had a good time and he's knowingly entered into this relationship where he shares his data.
0: Given how much information that these casinos have about the individuals that are part of their loyalty program, how much further do they go? Do they dig deeper for other information that's available online about these customers?
1: So traditionally, the casinos... Um, have relied on the data that they've gathered within their own casino walls. And over the course of the book, Caesars begins to explore how much other information from outside the casino walls would be useful. So uh, there is, I I talk a little about in the book, uh, how one of rival casino, the Wins Casino, started buying information from the local public records, in which people were getting married in Las Vegas. And in fact, more people get married in Las Vegas than any other U.S. city and at about the six-month point since their marriage uh, Winds would then contact these newlyweds and say hey the the anniversary of, of your wedding is coming up why don't you come back and celebrate by staying at our hotel and they'd make an offer Um that was maybe appealing to them and so what they were doing was reaching out getting public records information that they could find where these people lived who were they some basic characteristics about them and then make an offer traditionally Caesars hadn't found much use in this kind of outside data, and in fact, Wins had discontinued it. But over the course of the book, they explore more and more because everything we do now in the in the Internet era, all that data is, is often shared into different companies and with data brokers. And some of these companies are big companies that we know very little about as typical consumers, companies called things such as um, Axiom or Experian. But they have hundreds and hundreds of data points on hundreds of millions of consumers uh, in the United States. And so they could know what your your basic finances are, your basic family situation, where you live, and so on. And that data could be used by Casino to supplement its marketing offers if they choose to do so.
0: And don't they do this with the money that's taken out of ATMs through this global cash network?
1: So here's another interesting twist that I explore a bit in the book. Um, A lot of the commerce in Las Vegas uh, in contrast to much of what happens elsewhere in the United States is in cash. So in order to gamble, you cannot put down a credit card. You need to have cash. And there, there are uh, special cash networks there that had been sharing information about who's coming and, and for example, getting cash advances on their, on their checks or other ways. And so some of this information was shared between casinos, not uniformly and only by some of the casinos, but it was another way that they could figure out who was there. What, what casinos are especially curious about is how much money are you spending somewhere else? For example, if you come and you spend $500 at a casino, you might seem like quite a good customer. But if it turns out that you've uh, taken out thousands of dollars across the street in another casino, they've then discovered that you're actually a pretty good customer at the $500, but you're spending a lot more money somewhere else. There's great potential to bring you back into their casino and have have you spending a lot more. And they might learn that by your your cash transactions, how you're getting the cash um, in, in different parts of Las Vegas.
0: You talk about Gary Loveman coming out of MIT. How sophisticated are the algorithms getting by which all this information is measured in Vegas? And to what extent are they relying on technology and technologists to further refine and enhance those algorithms?
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that Gary Loveman has done is, is hired a very sophisticated group of, of people with strong backgrounds in, in business and data analytics. And so there, there's this, this team of people that are unseen to, to the visitor in Las Vegas that are doing all the data algorithms and studying the numbers and studying the patterns of big data. And it's, it's something that he demands that his top managers know. I, increasingly, other casinos have come to embrace that. They've, in fact, hired some of the people from Caesars to run their operations, and also hire it from elsewhere. So this is increasingly par for the course for not only Las Vegas, for, but for operations in businesses all sorts uh, across all sorts of parts of the economy.
0: Is there a link between all of this raw data and the analytics that go into it and all of the surveillance and the cameras that are everywhere in Vegas?
1: So not directly. So there, there are two different kinds of things we're talking about here. One is operating a casino safely and securely, and that's what the security apparatus is about. And the other is about marketing to people. Now, in a typical Las Vegas casino that is large, something like Caesars Palace, you might have 3,000 video cameras. Some casinos are even uh, larger in terms of the number of cameras they have, perhaps uh, four or 5,000. Um, about half of those might be looking at the customers and half looking at the staff. Uh, and it's interesting you think about the staff because the staff has a lot of opportunity at self-enrichment. Uh, you can think of uh, the restaurant staff might have access to expensive steaks. And, of course, the the folks working the front uh, operations might have access to chips or they're counting money. Uh, bartenders may forget to take uh, money for the drink so that their tips will be higher. So they're watching both sides of the equation. Largely, they're not Uh, The casino is not looking at this kind of information to figure out who are good customers. They're only trying to keep order in the place through that surveillance. The second side of it, figuring out what the customers are doing, uh, what they're spending their money on, how frequently they come back, and so on, that's used for marketing. So that's a different thing right now. Uh, Things such as video recognition are not sophisticated enough to instantly recognize, oh, here's an especially valuable player. Let's make sure that he has his favorite drink as he's pulling into the parking lot. Those, those kinds of things are still a ways off.
0: But it's not hard to imagine you know, the pit boss of the future wearing something like Google Glass with face recognition ability and knowing instantly the realities of that particular gambler.
1: They could, but sometimes um, lesser tech means do just the same. So because most people are already loyalty card members, they're handing in their card either when they sit down at the card table or or playing craps or whatever their game, or putting their card into the slot machine, and so at that point the p- casino knows exactly who they are and they know all the data about them. Uh, as casinos are now configured, when you come to the card table and you hand in your card, there's a computer right there, and and the dealer can see all this information about you, which might include when's the last time you were there, how much money did you lose on that occasion, what level uh, member are you in the loyalty program, are you a a high-status person, or you're a less frequent visitor, and so on. And so often you don't need the super high-tech. You don't need them to wear the Google glasses and figure out by higher-tech means, who these people are, since the overwhelming bulk of the people are handing in loyalty cards.
0: And because of that, one of the things that you touch on is the fact that so few people complain about what would seem like a massive invasion of privacy.
1: Well... There is something interesting about the data, uh, data collection in Las Vegas, and that is the data that these casinos gather, and again, my book is particularly looking at, at Caesars, is kept within um, their own computers and their own systems. Caesars does not share this data with other companies. Um, and so in a way, this is, is an exception with the way a lot of companies are now doing business. Um, and I talk about in the book, there's a lot of other kinds of things that we do as customers that may be things we'd want to remain private, but then are sold to other marketers. And there are lists out there that are rather intimate in, in what they offer. I mean, there are lists of women who have bought porn in the last six months, and that comes from um, people who, who, who sell adult products, and then they'll sell the list to bigger marketers. And then there'll be all sorts of other lists based on ethnicity or purchase patterns or Often, it's very simple stuff like what subject are you likely interested in based on what magazines you've bought. All that information is traded and sold between companies and data brokers. In the Vegas example, though, that gambling information from inside the casino is kept within the company. So it's a little bit different from a lot of the data gathering that happens today.
0: Do they buy data? They may not sell their data, but do they buy data from other sources?
1: So uh, we talked a little about the example in which Wynn Casino was buying data from from the city of Las Vegas, the the town registrar, to to have the marriages, um, the the newlywed marriages. Uh, They also increasingly do buy data from bigger data brokers. So they may know something about you from your habits in the casino, but they can supplement that with outside information. And this supplementing of information from other sources does give a great deal of additional insight into customers, not only in Las Vegas, but across the economy. So they may see part of your purchase patterns who know a little about you but by d- buying this additional data they'll have many more insights about who you are and, and what kind of things you're likely to buy
0: and has this filtered down to even the smaller casino operations in vegas obviously caesars is one of the largest and you mentioned win what about some of the smaller operations is this something they're doing even on a smaller scale
1: so loyalty programs uh, of course, have become common in all sectors of the economy. And then they date back to the, the, the modern programs of the airlines starting in 1981. Um, and so even in the smaller casinos, they do have loyalty programs because they want you to keep coming back. It's a little harder to scale because one of the advantages Caesars has is that they have casinos in many different parts of the United States and also abroad. And so you might earn points on their program when you're in Cincinnati and then Kansas City and then be in Las Vegas and all those places, you're, you're getting points, much as you would in an airline pro, uh, program flying to different cities by the same airline. If you're a smaller one-operation casino in Las Vegas, it's a little more difficult because you're going to be relying on local customers because it'll be less common that out-of-town people are coming to you again and again. But they do have these incentive programs, and they tr- do try to market to people based on that data, on the even on these smaller operations, as best they can.
0: Is this playing out internationally as well, particularly in Europe, where there are somewhat stronger laws with respect to privacy?
1: It is playing out internationally, and so the the same logic of gathering data for marketing purposes is, is working out on a worldwide basis. Um, there are protections about certain kinds of data in Europe that are stronger than in the United States, but there are also data brokers that sell information about Europeans and data brokers in other countries. Um, and in, in many cases where the rules are stronger, what companies are trying to do is convince people to opt into the system. Uh, if the data is not automatically shared with them, they may say, oh, we'll give you an incentive or points or some kind of discount if you share the information, and that's how they gather the information. So certainly this is something that is happening worldwide, although America has led the way in this, um, in this corporate gathering of data.
0: But people like Gary Loveman. what is the cutting edge? Are there things and algorithms that he still wants to see that that haven't happened yet? What what are the envelopes that they're trying to push?
1: So there's ever more levels of sophistication that one could do that are complicated to do um, that they could look at. So one example that he cited to me, for example, is that they have casinos in Philadelphia and they also have rivals in Philadelphia. Now, it may be that if you live in one section of town, uh, it's easier for you to go to a rival company. So you might have to have a stronger, better offer to make you drive longer to get to the Caesars Casino. And it may be someone who lives closer to the Caesars Casino will get not as not as big of an offer because they're closer. And so what they they could do is try to segment the population based on various factors, where they are, how frequently they visit, things like that. And those are things that are complicated to do for the companies working on.
0: How big an impact does this have on the bottom line for casinos? If they weren't doing this, how how different would it be?
1: It's hard to tell exactly. But um, the interesting thing about Caesars is they do not have the very most modern, latest casinos in Las Vegas. Um, Caesars Palace, which is their flagship property, property, is almost 50 years old. And um, many of the other casinos that they have in Las Vegas, and they have quite a few, are not the most spectacular in terms of of the grandest buildings and facilities uh, compared to some of the newer buildings uh, built in recent years. And yet, they have done very well in in customers. They have some issues related to the downturn and some debt and change of corporate ownership, but that's unrelated to their, their data gathering and their sophistication in marketing. So I think it does... It seems clear, and, and, and people throughout the industry do credit him for gaining more of their share than they would have otherwise had without a sophisticated uh, consumer data operation.
0: What's interesting about this is that it, no matter how much technology is involved, it is an extension of something that Vegas has always been known for, which is this sense of, of comps and customer service and things that went on even in, in the, o- the old days of Vegas, as it were.
1: That's true. But in the old days of Vegas, there was much more improvisation and um, a sensing of uh, who people were without precise numbers. So, for example, they may see you coming into the casino. Uh, A manager might uh, chat you up and say, hey, Jeff, where are you from? How's it going? And he might decide he just likes you and he might give you uh, a little a little ticket that says uh, feed Jeff lunch for free today. (laughs) And then the, the croupier may have a sense, oh, he's gambled enough, let's give him a free night as well. Now it's all based on on the numbers. And it may be you're a great guy walking into the casino, but if you're not spending the numbers that they think are sufficient, you may not get a free room or you may not get tickets to the entertainment. So it's become much more scientific than it was in, in that seat of the pan style of past decades.
0: In the end of the book, you have an appendix on on ways to protect yourself, essentially. Do you sense and and do the casino sense that there are many people that really want to opt out of this system, or are the benefits too great?
1: Well, the casino world is this sort of closed loop, as I mentioned that they keep their data within the system, and because the the majority of people choose to opt in that's that's the evidence that people are not that concerned about sharing it. um The perks are an important part of of the overall operation in las vegas and and make it sort of more fun. To go there and lose your money at the casino tables. Um, the appendix at the end of my book, though, is is largely about what you do in all other aspects of, of your life. Uh, with the casino world, you can choose, I want to be part of the loyalty program and share my data, or I'm, I prefer not to be. Um, the appendix, though, talks about sharing data in everything else, when, when you're buying things on the internet, when you're transacting in all sorts of ways, uh, when you're searching the internet, sending emails, and so on. So there's a whole bunch of tips on things that you can do if you're concerned about sharing too much of your data.
0: Do you sense from talking to a lot of people about this in in researching the book that we are looking at any kind of potential backlash to this at some point?
1: Well, speaking more broadly beyond the world of Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of customers feel, uh, a lot of consumers feel a sense of frustration uh, of not having uh, a choice in exactly what they're doing and, and how they're sharing things. Um, and oftentimes, people don't exactly know where their data is going and how it's being shared. And only from time to time do you see kind of this up, uproar of, of unhappiness in some ways. For example, the, uh, the target data breach. Maybe people didn't realize how much information about their credit cards and financial information was stored. And when that was hacked into in, in a criminal way and stolen, there was this big uproar of, uh, of unhappiness and loss of business that resulted at Target. And I think the same could happen on the long term when we're talking about uh, businesses. Businesses that collect a lot of personal data, if it comes out how they're sharing it and what they're doing with it in ways that may not be beneficial to customers, I think you may see a backlash that will be damaging to customers. Uh, if you take the reverse of that, uh, I think co- uh, companies that are open in how they share their data and give a choice to customers are the ones that are going to benefit most over the long term.
0: Are we really at the beginning of this trend? Are we going to see, as we we talked about in Vegas specifically, but in a broader sense, much more sophistication on the way data is collected and used? In many ways, it's still very primitive.
1: Yes. Now, uh, I think one of the points of the book was to to look at why businesses collect data, who are the p- people collecting data, and what is good and bad about it. Now, certainly there are upsides to the collection of data, and uh, some people appreciate the fact that they are targeted to with products that, they, that they're that they interested in. But yes, more and more sophistication can be used as, um, as it is cheaper to store data and it is cheaper to aggregate things from different sources. Um, At the same time, I do expect there's going to be a pushback on certain kinds of data that is sensitive. Some of the data that can be collected would be things such as sexual orientation, religion, politics, and medical information, things that people might want to have keep staying private. And those are the things where bad conduct in data by companies would lead to a backlash over time, I believe.
0: And, as you say, in many ways, while we're going forward in a way it's going backward to the small town or village where everybody knew everything about everybody else
1: that's right. I mean, if you think of the the, the small village in which there were always gossipy neighbors figuring out everything, um, there was that world that once existed. I think the difference today is that um, this information can be known not just by the the neighbors around your house but by anyone who looks into the dossier, any marketer or anyone else. And um, that's quite a different feeling from the town, the, the old-time uh, gossipy town. Because if you then went to the next town, they may not know anything about you. Your information was just limited to the, the sphere of proximity about you. The thing that um, can be concerning to some people about the modern collection of data is that once that information about you is gathered and, and put into a data broker's dossier, It's there forever, and anyone can look it up.
0: Adam Tanner, the book is What Stays in Vegas, The World of Personal Data, Lifeblood of Big Business, and the End of Privacy as We Know It, just out from Public Affairs. Adam, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.